This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode number 25 of Real Blend, a podcast that has been playing the same game of shoots and ladders for 30 years, but isn't getting a hey. cool new movie about it. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and I want to say hey to everyone who is watching the live stream of Real Blend on our Facebook page. Be sure to interact with us in the comment section, and producer Gabe, who is behind the glass, will pass us your best comments or questions. Uh, by us, I mean my outstanding co-hosts, starting with Mr. Kevin McCarthy, who is the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Jonathan, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful. I want everybody on the Facebook feed to take a look at Kevin, who I'm calling Messiah Kevin today, with his Jesus beard and his uh, halo glow behind him. It might be because of the Stanley Cup Championship t-shirt that's on him, uh, and we'll discuss that in a minute. But first, we have to get to Jake Hamilton. My my background is reminding me of the fountain for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, You do do that Hugh Jackman pose? Do that Hugh Jackman pose where his mouth hangs open? (laughs) We, we currently have more viewers at this moment than saw the fountain, though. Oh, come on. Uh, Jake took a week off, so he's coming back refreshed and ready to uh, yeah. give us his opinions. Jake Hamilton is with Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, hello. Good to see you. Yeah, I listened to the podcast last week, and I really, really missed myself. <laughs> <laughs> is it weird to listen to the podcast when you're not on it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but not for the I, reasons that you want it to be. Ah, it is. Yeah, I, I want you to feel like you want to chime in necessarily. Um, if you <laughs> I, sh- are I shouted us. things out loud, if it makes you feel better. Oh, I wanted to do that thing where you like live tweet the show when you listen to it. We missed the opportunity, so can you skip next ah. week and then maybe we'll do that again. <laughs> done (laughs) Uh, if you're watching us on the facebook channel as i said hello uh we are also we have a twitter uh, twitter page at real blend r-e-e-l-b-l-e-n-d we have um, an itunes account if you're listening to us please give us a star rating and leave us a review we definitely appreciate that oh um we had a new review gabe if you can give me the review i want to read it because um it was really nice and i i like that people are uh, giving reviews so in the meantime um talking points kevin you're not in your normal place and you're in la can you tell us why you're in la yeah i'm in la for a bunch of uh films uh so jake and i will, and we'll get into this later on in the podcast uh last week was kind of a crazy week for me in regards to um the show schedule i know sean and i were discussing this i was in dallas for tag and then i was in la for incredibles 2 and then jake and i were in hawaii for uh jurassic world fallen kingdom we got back Sunday morning, uh, and now I'm back in L.A. as of yesterday for um, Sicario 2 tonight, which is, looks awesome. I'm, I'm freaking out because I want to talk to Benicio Del Toro. Um, I don't, you guys remember that moment in Infinity War where uh, Thanos is asking Del Toro's character for the stone? It's like a specific reference to Snatch. He's like, where is mm-hmm. the stone? I was like so excited about that. So I want to nerd out with I them. I did too. not catch that reference at all. Oh, way. yeah. Not, that went right over my head. I just remember Frankie Four Fingers, which was uh, uh, Del Toro's character from Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Uh, So tomorrow I'm interviewing Brolin and Del Toro for that, so I'm going to talk to him about that reference. And then later on in the weekend, I have Uncle Drew, which is the Kyrie Irving 
uh, Reggie Miller, Chris uh, uh, Weber, and Nate Robinson film. That's why I'm in Los Angeles now. Also, if you have not seen Kevin's interviews with Josh Brolin, it's worth going back and finding them all. Um, in the most recent <laughs> one, Brolin mentioned that he wanted to breastfeed Kevin and yeah. um, and adopt him and like take him home. They have a very strange relationship, but it makes for amazing junket videos. Yeah, I'm gonna bring some. Uh, I, I, here's the thing, and, and I'm gonna I, I wanted to ask you guys this. Like now, I feel more pressure walking into that room tomorrow than I ever have because yeah. how do I like what do we do next? You know what I mean? Because like last time. As you said, he offered to breastfeed me and then have me move in with him. And then he gleeked while, while he was eating Deadpool trolley candies. So I don't know what the next thing is. I mean, Sicario is such a serious movie. In the first Sicario movie, he just kind of farted the whole interview. So I don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. I have no idea. Um, so we'll see. I think you just give him control of that. You just give him control of that room. You had something He's going so with Anne Hathaway too, where every time you saw her, you kind of yeah, escalated. I did. Yeah. Bit, yeah. For, the, for so. a long time. It started with uh, an interview that they set up between her and me that made it look like we were out on a date. And it was just this round table and like a candle. It was for the movie. Uh, Bride uh, Wars. That was Bride for Bride Wars. Wars. I, I remember and, that setup. Uh, yeah. And, and so she made a joke about how us being on a date. And so every interview after that we escalated it and at one point when she was paired with jake gyllenhaal we pretended that like i was upset that she was cheating with jake at one point uh i <laughs> when we were in brazil together oh, i proposed yeah. to her and she was my junket wife and then finally at one at a certain point i just stopped and in fact after my interview with her for lay miss she like leaned forward to me and she was like are we not going to to do anything and i was like no like <laughs> I'm done. Like, like short of us literally walking down an aisle together, what are we going to do? Like, we, we have to, we have to know when to stop. That's pretty funny. That's yeah. that is kind of exhausting. I would imagine Josh Horowitz over at MTV just runs out of ideas after a while. <laughs> like, well, what else can I do? We have an entire lunch? MTV production team. Yeah, Jake, Jake, and I um, over the years we've been lucky enough to be able to have um, enough interviews with actors. Same with you, Sean, where you start to build a uh, relationship in regards to the interview setting. So Jake was talking about the uh, and Hathaway element of it. It is, it is kind of cool. It actually helps the interview, specifically if you interview like someone that you admire multiple times, like a Spielberg or something like that, then they kind of know what you, what kind of things you want to ask. And they kind of, because I've, I've always heard that Spielberg doesn't like specifically talking about um, the behind the scenes stuff about how movies are made. But I think he somehow knows that I just love it so much. So he ends up answering that question for me anyways, every time I ask it. So I think it's just nice to be able to have these multiple encounters with actors. Cause I think it just kind of creates a, uh, a good flow for the future interviews. Before we get to news, since you brought up Spielberg, I do have to mention you guys, as you said, were in Hawaii and you were on the junket for Jurassic world fallen kingdom, not really Spielberg, but seeing a number of things that were Spielberg esque the setting of Jurassic park. And for Jake too, I mean, it didn't even hit me until you sort of mentioned it. You were such a lost guy, you know, a fan of the television yeah. show. And a lot of yeah. that was shot there. So just briefly catch us up. And of course, the picture that that just uh, destroyed me, because as the third member of Real Blend, not getting to sleep in the tent with you guys uh, <laughs> was just heartbreaking. So tell everybody about uh, Fallen Kingdom and about Hawaii. Uh, Fallen Kingdom, we'll get into details of that in another podcast as we get closer to release. But you guys got to interview the cast. Yeah, I think for, for me, just being a fan of, of movies and then, like you said, Lost, anyone that knows me knows that, that Lost was sort of a seminal moment for me. It was where I really started watching serial television and really started appreciating what television could be as an art form. Because it was sort of right before what I think was the breakout of uh, prestige television. And uh, it was it just 
I mean, every corner you turn, I mean, Kevin knows, like, there is a sign that was like, this scene from Lost was shot here, and, and I have a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of the show, and it, it was just sort of, it was, it was, I'm being laughed at, uh, but it was just really, it was a really cool moment to sort of just kind of pause and be like, you know, like, ten, I'm getting, like, nostalgic as I get older, and so to sort of start being in places that meant a lot to me whenever I was younger, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool feeling. Oh, I want yeah, to mention was... the fact that in a text chain, Jake brought up now that I'm getting older and I so desperately wanted to reach through the phone and strangle him <laughs> as someone who is yeah. older than Jake is. But Kevin, it was crazy it like being there. Pretty exciting. You've been there before. Yeah, I've been there before, but it was uh, it's interesting going there for a Jurassic Park film was relatively special, especially going with someone like Jake, because obviously Jake and I uh, have very similar um lines of how we got to where we are in regards to how movies changed our lives and just kind of what move, what movies changed our lives and Jurassic Park was obviously one of those films that I think blew us both away at very young ages um so to kind of be on Kualoa Ranch where they shot a, some of the most famous scenes in that film talking to Jeff Goldblum specifically uh was kind of a very surreal thing but people don't know the story if you don't know it originally Spielberg was shooting on Kauai uh, another island and then there was a hurricane that came in Goldblum was telling me um that Kathleen Kennedy was very big on getting everybody out and kind of to safety and then switching to the different island uh so if you remember the scene in Jurassic Park when Sam Neill and the kids are under hanging out uh, not hanging out but they're running from the dinosaurs they get behind that log that's actually shot directly below where we were shooting our interviews with Jeff Goldblum so it was just very surreal. And then Jake and I were given the opportunity to go back to the hotel the night after our interviews or sleep in a tent on Kualoa Ranch, which we later found out that we were the first people ever that didn't own the place, apparently, to sleep overnight on this place. And Jake mentioned Lost. They also shot Godzilla there, 51st Dates, Jurassic Park, the newest Jumanji film. Um, so Jake and I had an array of tents to choose from with these gigantic queen beds. It's called Glamping. Uh, and we were a, we had the opportunity to choose our own tent, and there were probably what I don't know, ten, fifteen tents there. Um, yeah, because uh, far fewer press members slept on the ranch than you would imagine. It was a, right. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And most people opted to go back to the hotel. Right. That's so and we, lame. And, Come on. I know. Well, there were eight of us. I will admit this. I do not do not like camping, but because it was like an up, it was like an upscaled. Like you had a bed and like sheets and, and showers. It was it was it was. Fun. Oh, I hate um, camping. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so not for we, me. Uh, so Jake and I ended up, <laughs> we found out somehow that there were tents that had two beds. So we're both in our 30s, grown men, um, but we're both also at, an, at, a, at a time where we're interviewing Jeff Goldblum for a Jurassic Park film. Why not sleep <laughs> together in the same All tent? Right. And, and well, Why not, it. Jake? Why not, right? Yeah, and, and I have to say that, that Kevin is a very gentle spooner. I am. I am. You know what's funny about that that day? We had a very long day, in, in, in a good way. Hashtag first world problems. But, um, you know, we, but we had a very, very long day. I mean, we woke up at like 6. We worked on our questions. We went to the interviews. We then we, we zip line. We took a helicopter, all this stuff. Then we went to a, a dinner afterwards, and we got back. And I'm like, there's no way Jake and I are staying up. It's 9 o'clock. 
we were going to bed. It was, you know, we were dead. <laughs> we got back and we were up till one in the morning just talking about movies with everybody around a campfire, Sandlot style, eating s'mores. And it was like the craziest thing ever. So, uh, and then Jake and I slept together. It was, it was, it was, it was really, really nice. Like we really had a tent, two beautiful. beds. It was great. So Sean, how was your weekend? <laughs> not, uh, not nearly as exciting, unfortunately. <laughs> Although I did put the uh, original Jurassic Park into the DVD player uh, to commemorate its 25th anniversary on Monday. But, you know, I slept in my own bed and cuddled up if, with the dog, unfortunately. It, if people want to see photos, so the way it looked was it was, a, it was a tent. You walked in. There were two beds. Jake and I had our own bed. Um, but people came by. It was like the t- four seasons in a tent. Right. People came by our tent at five in the morning, I guess, when we were sleeping and snapped photos like paparazzi style, TMZ style of us sleeping in our beds. So those photos are available on my Instagram, which is Kevin McCarthy TV. Hashtag shameless plug. <laughs> and the nudes are in our text chain. So <laughs> we will share those. But um, it's just let's... a blinding white light, which are my legs. <laughs> but, yeah, my, the, the best bit of the whole time was, was Jake's constant jokes about his pale legs. That, was, that made me laugh so hard. And like, there's a photo of us just like sitting there in the, in the tent. It's, there's like a bl- blinded by the light, like just starts playing in the picture for some reason. And that, that's what it looks like with, with Jake's legs. Or anyone that knows anything about photography, you know that you have to get a white balance before you shoot something. Like my legs are what is used to get a white balance. Right. All right. There's a lot of news to get to, so let's jump ahead. We will definitely review Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, We'll probably preview it next week and then get into a greater detail after. I know the boys have some really exciting thoughts about it. I don't get to see it until Tuesday. Um, we're going to later on in the episode, we're going to finally give Jake a chance to catch up with Hereditary. He went and saw Oceans. Um, Kevin and I have each seen Incredibles 2 and Tag. That's why I'm wearing my shirt. Um, and we're going to do Bullock Blend. We are playing hashtag Bullock Blend to catch up with Sandra Bullock. Bullock but our blend. choice is um, our choice has a special sentimental value uh, in terms of the podcast, uh, which we will explain. But before we get to that ton of news that has happened over the past couple of days and i'm going all the way far back because um there's a lot of stuff that broke like right after we did the podcast last week but before we get to a trailer that i want to talk about um wonder woman 1984 decided to drop um a first look photo at what gal gadot is going to look like as wonder woman uh in the sequel and uh we have a title and then we realize that chris pine is back as steve trevor i love this title well i think he's like a relative I think he's a relative. There's no way that it could be the actual Steve Trevor. I think it's like Steve Trevor Jr. Like it has to be some type of relative. No way it can be the actual guy. He died. I don't know. He died. I don't know. Wait, but did he die? How do we know he he didn't jump out of that plane? How do we know he didn't jump out of the plane? Okay, but but even if he didn't, he still wouldn't look the same in 1984 as he did in World War I. He doesn't look aged. Right, exactly. Do you think he He, has the Captain America effect? Oh, if they better not do that, I would be so disappointed if they come up with some type of like... But it is Steve Trevor. They said it was Steve Trevor. It's not Steve Trevor Jr. It's Steve Trevor. They do say Steve Trevor, yes. Look at Patty Jenkins' tweet. It, it's, it's, it's not someone who looks like Steve Trevor. It's Steve Trevor. Are they not filming this by you? Aren't they filming it they in are. D.C.? It's in my backyard. Yeah, they're shooting it at Landmark Mall and in Georgetown. So... Um, which Do Jake, you have any access to the set? Yeah, whatsoever? you have to get Jake, Patty Jenkins loves you. How are you not getting Jake, on this set? Jake knows the frustration of this. He's heard the stories of Dark Knight. You cannot get anywhere. Like, you can shoot from afar, but you cannot right. get anywhere near it. It's a closed set. Listen, I get it. If I'm Patty Jenkins, um, like, and I know Patty Jenkins pretty well through, the, through interviews and through social media, yeah. uh, she's busy, man. I, I almost don't want to even, like, I've asked to go on set, 
And I know that like the Warners has told me it's a closed set and I would love to go, but I, I get it. I mean, if I'm a filmmaker, like I want to work, you know what I mean? I don't want to be like catering to a reporter who needs to come in there and watch them shoot. You know what I mean? So I'm, let's, I'm okay with it. I, I, I didn't expect to get on there, but I've heard stories of Dark Knight shooting in Chicago and nobody could get on it. People had to shoot from far yeah. away and you know, it, it, it's not anything. I don't, I'm not taking it personally. I'm, I'd like to we go, have, but I'm not going <laughs> We have knocked the DCEU a little bit, and <clears throat> we talked about Marvel being very successful. Um, the idea of them fast-forwarding Wonder Woman to the 1980s, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, there's Kevin showing Steve Trevor. No, I know. I know that they say yeah, but it's, it's Steve saying, Trevor. It says Steve Trevor. Um, 84, <laughs> um, I like it. I, I, the title I'm a little questionable on, I guess. Um, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. So wait, so let me, let me get this straight. So the first one was 1940, 1920, it was World War I. What year was the first movie? 1920, can't remember, whatever. I don't even World say War it was I. like 1914, like somewhere around there. Was it? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, yeah, it was earlier World War One. So this is going to be clearly, uh-huh. what, 70 years later. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure what's going on in the storyline at this point. It's a Why huge they're filming jump. in DC? Yeah, it's huge. I, I so. just, I love the 80s as, as a, a time period to set things. I was a big fan, you guys know, uh, of The Americans, which just ended uh, two weeks ago, which is all 80s. Um, and I love the idea of seeing different characters, how they react to the eighties. And then with, uh, Diana Prince, that's just such an interesting character to see how she reacts to certain aspects of life. World war one was so interesting because I feel like we get so many world war two movies that we very rarely get to see world war one. So that was already right. a cool setting. So I very much look forward to see is the how, yeah, that was, was great. And I look forward to seeing how she's going to handle what I'm assuming is going to be the cold war and, uh, in the eighties. Uh, I just that that's honestly out of everything that's that what intrigues sense. me the most. Do you? And that would be Steve Trevor. Like, that's you're putting another ninety years on Steve Trevor. Like there's yeah. no way it can be so the same character. So he'd be character. dead because yeah he yeah he'd be dead. Okay, so dumb question. So in regards to when we met when we met Wonder Woman and Batman vs Superman, and then we obviously yeah. had her again in Justice League. Is Steve Trevor gone at that point completely out of her life? Because at the beginning of at the beginning of Wonder Woman, isn't it her getting a letter from Batman? Uh, Bruce Wayne right. uh, with right. Chief Trevor. So we, we, at, but that doesn't make any sense because, so that I'm assuming is what? That's probably 2017, right? When she's looking at that photo, that's present day. Right? Yeah, I feel like there's got to be some actual, like, there's no way that, that she would drop that photo without it sort of be, I don't know. I feel like we're looking into it too much. I, I don't well, think maybe he's not going to be, maybe just he's not going to be as big of a part or it's a dream do sequence you think, or. Dream, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Dream sequence. Cause how else do you explain it? Because, at the beginning of Wonder Woman, Steve Trevor's clearly dead. Like, not, not in her life whatsoever. And that's 2017. So, yeah, right. And so I don't really know what, if he, does he die again? Did he get out of that plane? Is he cryogenically frozen? I, I, have, no, I have no clue. I, I don't know. Great, they just I, keep it, bringing him back and killing him off. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot handle any more frozen Chris's in superhero movies. I know. I know. It's too much. <laughs> I, I uh, Jake, I want though. you to talk about the... Oh, go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. Did you guys ever see Age of Adeline? Yes, yeah. I liked Age of Adeline, actually. Which I absolutely love. I still think that guy should have been young Han Solo. Uh, he was amazing. Um, he was good. Really good. Um, do you remember her situation where she couldn't age, obviously, and they placed her in different time frames, and you watched her interact with the different years, kind of like Jake yeah. was just saying about Wonder Woman? I, I love that aspect, like watching somebody mm-hmm. kind of go through life in different time periods as themselves without aging. So I, I'm would be totally interested in seeing how Gal Gadot like does that with the with the different times. So we'll see. 
Jake, fill me in on this George Lucas alternate sequel trilogy idea thing. I we have a yeah. story on Cinema Blend, but I didn't actually read his quotes. Does he like lay it out in pretty good detail? So it's interesting. It's you know everyone knows that apparently George Lucas had ideas for what Episode Seven, Eight, and Nine would have been had right. he done them, but no one knew what those ideas were. But apparently, a book about sci-fi just came out, and there's this little blurb from Lucas. This little quote that's. Interesting on two parts. The first part is that he reveals that uh, his episodes 7, 8, and 9 would have focused on uh, microbiotics, some very subatomical life that feeds off of the Force and is what gives the galaxy its meaning or some crap like that. But the best part is that he goes on to admit that the fans would probably have hated his idea, much <laughs> like they hated the, the Phantom Menace. So yeah, was funny. Uh, he 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 reveals what I think is I mean granted he didn't reveal what the plot would have been or what but it, but it would have focused on something called microbiotics and subatomic life. Okay, interesting. So there you go. Oh, him bringing that stuff up sort of undercuts what they're what they're doing. But I'm not I, sure why because it was it was it's published in a book somewhere and I'm not quite sure and maybe like and I'm not sure what the context was like maybe he was asked about like subatomic life or, or or microbiotics or something he's like oh yeah by the way the next three Star Wars movies were going to be about that I'm not sure what the context were for why he brought it up but mm-hmm. it's the first sort of peek at that we've ever been given and that we probably will ever get I highly doubt he's ever going to go on record sort of you know mapping out or even if he knows um, yeah, what it would doesn't serve been. anything for him to do that at this point now yeah. we're so far away from it um, I want to bring up the first man trailer because yeah. I love Damien Chazelle so much. Um, he did Whiplash and La La Land, which were both of I those think were my, my number ones. My number ones. Yeah, they were both my number ones the years that they Me came too. out. So Sean, I'm on high board. Five, long distance yeah, podcast woo! high five. Um, uh, what did you guys think of this trailer? I saw this footage at uh, CinemaCon in Vegas, and I had actually mentioned this to you guys, the ending of this. Um, and the bit that we saw was longer. Of, um, of them coming down the steps of the lunar module and showing the surface of the Earth. Uh, but they sort of pulled back a little bit further and showed more of them, like, sort of walking along the surface. And then, I'm, I, if, if I remember this correctly, they in the footage I saw, they sort of pan up in their view and you see where the Earth is from where they're yeah. standing. And it was this really disorienting um, shot. So, uh, but... but so Michelle watched this trailer with me and she was like, yeah, but you already know that what they do, like with the mission. And I was like, yeah, but you know, the Titanic sinks too. Like that's yeah. still an exciting movie. So what are your guys thoughts but on this? Are you excited for, for, for me, it? Or? The shot that got me in this movie wasn't even so much that one. It was whenever they were going to walk toward uh, the, the rocket and they look up and the lights are shaking, which means that like that, how, how sort of not makeshift, but like, how sort of raggedy everything mm, was and how right. terrifying. And that's what really got me with the trailer is how terrifying that must have been. And I mean, think about the technology that they didn't have. I mean, I, you know, I think we're probably using more technology to pull off this podcast than <laughs> they had to get themselves to the moon. Yeah. And how, like, whenever they're being locked in and one of the guys says, hey, do you have a Swiss Army knife? Like, you're about to put someone on the moon. And, and you need a Swiss Army knife to do something? Right. Like, that's the right, last right. thing you hear before you take off? And seeing, like, the lights sort of shaking. Like, they didn't even, like, have the lights secured whenever they went up there. That's what struck me. Yes, I know they make it back, but it's the same thing with Apollo 13. doesn't mean I can't get, like, can't appreciate how absolutely unbelievably terrifying that had to be. And as a kid that grew up in Houston, I literally was mm. lived, lived walking distance from, from Johnson Space Center 
Like I have such an appreciation for, for what they do there. And I, I just don't think I've, I, it, I've truly seen how scary that must have been for those guys. Yeah, I think the trailer. Well, first of all, I think one of the, the beauties of filmmaking is uh, the, the if a filmmaker is doing his job, he will completely make you forget reality. Um, meaning that you'll be so suspended in disbelief while you're watching a film that you completely forget what happens at the end of the story. Um, and I've had that happen numerous times. I've been in a film where I've genuinely been sitting there watching a film, knowing the ending to a story, but somehow forgetting what's going to happen. So the post is a great example of that, right? So we already Wait, I got one. Published. Man on wire. What? Right. Yeah. I mean, Man on wire. you yeah. know, he does the yeah. walk. He, right. you know, he completes it. But the the yeah. act of him doing it is yeah. Yeah, enthralling. I, my I mean, palms po- are sweating now thinking about it. The the post was another one of those for me because the post I already knew they published the papers, but it was like this the sheer intensity living up to the decision that Meryl Streep's character was going to make. Spielberg, that's the magic, man. If you that, that that's kind of what a filmmaker longs to get is your that audience in the palm of his hand. Like forgetting what's happening, um, and yep. I think that Damien Chazelle completely has that ability. Uh, Whiplash is an absolute masterclass in just intensity, straight, uh, just based around dialogue and music. La La Land was a movie that was made. You know, Whiplash was made out of anger because he couldn't make La La Land, and then eventually La yeah. La Land was the next film he did. This trailer didn't do much for me specifically, but I'm not. Okay. That doesn't discount at all my excitement for the film um it's my most anticipated movie of the year post ready player one um so i have no doubt in my mind that this film is going to be executed in the best way possible for one of the best filmmakers working today the trailer 70 millimeter imax dude 70 millimeter IMAX the other some shots so some of the yep. shots he shot film which actually which is by the way it's very cool patty jenkins is following in the same um uh, uh, line for Wonder Woman 2. Now, we all know Nolan kind of uh, really brought this into, in, 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 in my mind, really kind of catapulted this type of filmmaking into feature filmmaking, which is kind of was, it was used more for science movies and things you would see at like museums um, for a long time. And then Dark Knight, Interstellar, Dunkirk. Uh, now Wonder Woman's doing it. Uh, Brad Bird did it in Ghost Protocol. Um, but now you're mentioning Damien Chazelle. I would imagine, I can imagine what scenes that are going to be in this format. Um, then seeing that jump to 70 millimeter, which if you live in an area that has a, a 70 mil IMAX projector, definitely, if you can go, go. Um, but yeah, the trailer, nothing specifically really kind of blew me away. Um, the only thing I'm having trouble with is looking past Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't yet gotten to a point where my mind is seeing Neil Armstrong. I'm seeing Ryan Gosling in a space suit. Um, mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where the first time I saw the poster with Ryan's face in the, in the helmet – I thought of what it was like watching like Last Action Hero where you'd walk into like a blockbuster and see famous actors on fake movie posters like Stallone yeah. was on yeah. Terminator um, 2. I see that. But but yeah. I will say this. Again, this is completely based on promo footage that we've seen. I have not seen the film. I have literally no diminishing excitement for this movie based on anything I've seen. The trailer just right. did not blow my mind. That's all. That's all or we do you remember that, right that fake poster? Was it uh... – in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, when there's a billboard and it's like Ben Affleck and he's in like yeah. an astronaut suit and he's like looking off into the distance. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of like I, I'm not sure. It's funny when you watch when you watch La La Land. Um, there's a weird thing where you 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 still are knowing you're watching Gosling and Stone. 
but they're so good sure. in it that it you know what I mean like it's almost as if there's when I'm watching Emma Stone perform in that movie I'm able to fully be in the storyline but I still know it's her um so I I, I think Gosling as a space uh, as Neil Armstrong, I'm not ready for that transition in my mind yet. So maybe I well, will be once I that's a really, once I sit. It, that's an interesting point. Is that for a lot of movies that I really love, if you hard pressed me, asked what the name of their character was, I'd have to stop and really think for a long time. Like I'd kind of yeah. know just sitting here thinking that her name is Mia in La La Land, but I'm always just like, right. yeah, Emma Stone. It's Emma Stone. Yeah. That's a good but point. it's yeah. but it's fascinating to me because but I'm also like, bad with people's names in real life, much less yeah, movie character true. names. But there yeah. are there are so many actors, and Ryan Gosling is one of them that you can if they if they play the part right and they're directed right, you can completely forget that it's them. And you watch Drive or things like that. There there are there are ways to look at performances. If there's Tom Hanks can still do it, Denzel can still do it. And I know people didn't really particularly like Roman uh, J. Israel, but that is one of the best performances I saw from an actor last that was year. A great performance. And he yeah. and the movie wasn't as good, but oh my god, like he yeah. disappeared. I was actually okay with him getting role. an Oscar nomination. Me too. I was shocked because there was no no one saw the movie. Yeah. But so I'm still not sold on Gosling. But I guarantee you, the minute that that 70 mil projector fires up and that movie hits the screen and Chazelle takes me into his world, I think I'm gonna be. Oh, we know Denzel. who's playing uh, Buzz Aldrin? No. Oh, I don't know. No. That'd be funny if it was but, Tim Allen, though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Kyle Chandler's in the movie, and Kyle Chandler is a national treasure that should be protected at all costs. So It's very true. Um, I do I'm love in. him. Uh, listen, um, it's gonna, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up in my top five. I, and I'm only saying that because Chazelle has not done me wrong yet, and he's only getting better as a filmmaker. He is just... That guy is legendary already. He's a freaking genius. So I'm all so in. True. All in. Um, speaking of freaking geniuses, uh, Jake Hamilton did not get to give us hey. his choice for um, Hitchcock Blend last week. And so we want to play a mini version of uh, of a blend game before we get into the full Bullock Blend last week. Jake, uh, yep. Kevin went with – well, you listened, but I forget. Kevin went with Rope for his favorite and Vertigo right. for his best. I went for North by Northwest as both my favorite and my best. Although I also love Shadow of a Doubt, which is so yep. great with Uncle Charlie. Um, what is I... your choice for best? Actually, do we get it? Gabe, can we guess? Gabe, do we have time? Okay, here's what, okay, here's what I'm saying. Before, before guess. you guess, I, you know, we've, we've been talking Don't a lot give me about the how along. about the Hold on, Gabe's giving me the move it along already. And listen, just, listen, listen, Gabe. Just starting the segment. <laughs> yeah, Gabe, Gabe, you're just going to have to sit this. there. Yeah. And listen yeah. to us talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on our Sandra Bullock, we're we're Dennis Hopper, and this podcast is our is our bus. So just just hold on tight, and let's see where it goes. Uh, so so I think you know we've talked a lot about the stipulations in terms of picking the best, and 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 be, we've been very adamant about separating it from favorite, about how it's not necessarily what you think the favorite is. But the more I think about it, I do think that there has to be an element, and I sort of touched on this with David Fincher. There has to be an element of rewatchability. Yes, there has to be like there even even and, and rewatchability a lot of times has to do with with favorite. Usually those two go hand in hand. But I think it needs to be brought into the conversation for me more than I have been because a lot of the ones that I've picked lately that have been best are not necessarily ones that I'd want to rewatch. And I think that's a mm. little unfair to the ones that people have made that I've wanted to rewatch ten thousand times, which is why. I'm gonna go with wait, Psycho. wait, wait. We get to, wait. We get to guess. Oh, did you say well, Psycho? You said Psycho. That I was did. my guess anyway. I did. That was gonna be my guess. I'm so, go oh, okay. Well, then you would have gotten it. The reason yeah. I'm going with Psycho is because it's. I mean, it's it's pinnacle 
uh, uh, Hitchcock, literally shot for shot, is is perfectly thought out and framed. The he was daring in ways that filmmakers uh, did not have the guts to be daring in so many parts. It's the first movie, isn't it? it might be the first movie to show a man in a in a dress. Um, no, because no, no. some like no. it hot ends with them. Some like it hot is all about them. And but is some but is some like it hot come out before Psycho? Yeah, I think so. It was a fifty okay. fifty four. Okay, okay. all right. Yeah. Um. So well, then take that out. But but still, <laughs> I mean, just just the the tension of it. Uh, the the daringness to kill off your leading lady halfway through, uh, the the film and uh, the the fear that I'm a, you know it was it's generally like a terrifying film. And also, I love rewatching as much as I as much as I love Vertigo and and uh, North by Northwest and. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to rewatch those before I'd rewatch. Like I could sit down and watch Psycho right now, and right. so I think that's why I ended up giving the edge to Psycho is because I, I don't have to excuse any filmmaking elements because from a filmmaking standpoint, it's 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 Hitchcock. It, to me, it shows how much of a genius it is. One of my favorite stories is that they the the MPAA asked him to recut the shower scene. He held on to it for about three weeks and went back and said, I made a lot of changes. And they watched it and they're like, yo, you're absolutely, oh, it's so much better. So much better. And he didn't touch it at all. I mean, just so many shots. I mean, I, you, you turn a shower head on and, and I, you know, that, that anytime, anytime someone takes a shot of a shower head, that's a tip of the cap too. I still don't know how he filmed the shower head. I still oh, I no don't idea. understand. Oh, it's, it's easy. They, they built a, um, a, it was a 12 inch diameter water. I, I read this somewhere. Like if you looked up at the camera, it the water went around the lens, not into the lens. But the way it was shot, it looked like it was just a normal shower head. From what I understand, I could be wrong. That's incredible. But then, because yeah. again, if any water was hitting that lens, there was always theories that maybe he put a plastic bag over the. But you would have seen the water hitting the lens. Yeah, so you I think yeah. touch. Yeah, I think he shot. From what I'm understanding, the camera was really far down, maybe like in the tub itself. And then I think the shower head itself was like a 12-inch diameter circle. I'll have to look at the shower again because I don't know, remember if there's water coming out in the middle of it. But it was so much so that the, the water would eventually go around the camera lens, not into it, I think. That's amazing. I think that's how they did it. Um, yeah. Let's so talk that's, rewatch. That's why I chose Psycho. That's a great choice. Um, and I can totally see that. I actually, I think that might have been the, the reader's choice. Um, let's talk about rewatchability with a movie called Hereditary. Um, do hmm. either of you guys want to see Hereditary again? <laughs> no. For me, yes, just to to have a better grasp on what happened. It's one of the first movies in a while I can remember where I walked out and genuinely didn't have a grasp as to what it was that I saw. And I, okay, and I so feel let's, like seeing hold this on. for a second time. Let's warn everybody that we are now, because we teased it last week, and this week we're going to dive into a spoiler conversation um, of, of Hereditary so that we can try to figure out what the heck we watched. Uh, Jake wasn't part of the conversation last week. We focused heavily on Tony Collette and how amazing she is in it. Um, we've Oscar asked a few questions. Worthy. Well, and they're starting the the campaign. Like A twenty four just yeah, put out a video smart. today that's like keep this woman on your radar because her performance yes. is that good in it. Um, agreed, agreed. But we had I had a couple of questions and we addressed some of this on Cinema Blend. The part that I don't understand. So now let's start, let's try to hash this out. Jake and I were trying to figure out the ending of it in a text chain. Um, the cult needed the satanic cult needed the oldest son's body essentially um but did did the spirit of the grandma live inside the daughter or like the daughter was was she possessed i thought so because wasn't there a scene where it showed the light going to her and then she gets up on the bed and looks outside 
the window. I feel and like that's possible. what I don't understand. Is that like if she got if the, if the spirit got into the wrong body, and right. and the spirit had to get out of the body through decapitation, which is what I started taking. But the daughter's decapitation was an accident. So was that just a, an amazing coincidence that that because the daughter was abs- accidentally decapitated, that the demon was then able to get out of her body? I think the daughter was imprinted on early. Um, so I think from what I from what I remember specifically is that Tony Collette talks about keeping the son away from the grandmother um, yes. on purpose, and then the grandmother kind of latching on to the to the daughter. But if they needed a male host, I don't know where the the grandmother somehow when she died left a message saying that this is all going to be working out. Just let the problems happen because it would be better for everybody in the end. Um, so I don't know how the grandmother somehow in her mind was able to figure out, like Jake was saying, the accidental decapitation of the daughter, or I don't even know if the the decapitation of the daughter was even something that needed to happen for the events to flow forward. I think the decapitation of the daughter was just the death that led to the craziness of what was happening with Alex Wolf that kind of got him emotionally into the, uh, position to be the host. But, um, I don't know. The decapitation thing was fascinating because, Tony Collette's moment of decapitation, specifically in the in the um, in the attic, yeah, there was something going on there. So I don't know. I I think the grandmother already had instilled something into the granddaughter that 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 was already in motion somehow. But I don't. I still don't understand that. There's something to do with the floating light, and that's why I need to revisit it to keep track of where the floating light goes. Because I think you just hit on something about the decapitations release. The floating light, right? And yes. so the light yeah, that, goes that's, from that's person to person. But, so but because the when, with the, like, because but the other decapitations are uh, on purpose, and and Charlie's decapitation was by accident. Well, so when Anne Dowd's character, the the woman who is recruiting Tony Collette for the who seances, I love, by the way, she's actually she's also fantastic. When she goes to Tony Collette outside of the AA meetings or the sorrow meetings, not the AA meetings, the sorrow meetings, um, and says, "Are you still recovering over the loss of your mother?" And she says, no, I actually lost a child. I think that Ann Dowd's character is surprised in that moment. Like, I don't think that she knew about the decapitation. And that sort of, like, sped up their process. I don't think she knew that the daughter was dead at that point. I think that she, I think that that caught her off guard. So I think what happened was the spirit was inside the daughter. And they were keeping it there until they could get to the son. Right. Right. Then the daughter gets decapitated surprisingly. And it, it almost forces the cult's hand because now the spirit is out of her body and has to go someplace. So I think oh. it goes to the to the husband because right. that's why the husband catches on fire when she throws the book into the I was the wondering thing. why the husband caught – like that was another reason why I didn't understand why the husband caught on fire. So listen. So the spirit's in the husband, right? Okay. Then he catches on fire and, and it goes from the husband to Tony Collette, which is why Tony Collette has to cut her own head off. So that it can be really like the demon is hopping, hopping from person to person with the ultimate goal of getting to the sun. Yes. And what was the, okay? So then, and what was the reason of bringing the grandmother's dead body back? Who Gabriel Byrne makes several comments about, like, what's that smell? Several times throughout the film, he keeps talking about a smell in the house. Oh, really? That we eventually learn is the grandmother's body in the attic. Right. What was the point All of right. bringing? And also, I'm assuming. So the demon had to have been in the grandmother's body because the grandmother's body was decapitated. Yes. Um, remember he gets he get because he gets the phone call that like what do you mean defiled? Yes. Um. So that so someone had to have gotten to the grandmother in the grave 
decapitated that body. At that point, the light goes to Charlie, who right. is accidentally decapitated. Then the light goes. I think the the one light that I did not see is when it went to the husband. That's the one. Right. That's, so that's why I, I was see. confused about. So it might guess, have been. It might have been as the fo- the flames went to his body. Like I think it might, and I don't know for sure. Maybe the flames were the light. I have no, I don't know. Maybe, but the, see, that's but why the light, I need to see it again. Yeah, yeah. but, that, but it, that's why. Yeah, I, I it's do want super see it fascinating to think about the jump. My and I, I think my my biggest problem with the film, and and you guys are gonna make fun of me because remember I had the minuscule issue with the the nail in Quiet Place. <laughs> Quiet there were there were two moments. That freaking nail, dude. There were two <laughs> moments of Alex Wolf's performance that. Made the film not not great for me. I I thought he was good. Yeah. He was very good. But he had two scenes that completely pulled me out of the film, like the nail. And they're very small. And I'm not trying to be that guy who's being super persnickety about, like, little details. But if I am... Huh? It's okay. I'm dying to hear what these are. If I am completely suspended in disbelief in a scene... Something can happen that pulls me out of it that actually genuinely pulled me out so much that I actually said to myself internally, whoa, whoa, I'm sitting in a movie theater. Oh, I, I want to get back into to this world. What, I, what do I need to do? Like it was very – it was like an outer body experience. And it was like the nail in Quiet Place. It pulled me out completely and then I had to get sucked back in um, because Tony Collette is so great in the film, I was able to. Um, but there's two scenes. One – the moment when they're uh, conjuring Charlie's spirit in the house, when they wake up at one thirty in the morning, yes. Alex Wolf's great moment, amazing scene. Alex Wolf is genuinely freaking out. And then there's this terrible, like, over-the-top cry that he does into Gabrielle Byrne's shoulder that was so bad. It sounded like <laughs> somebody was, like, trying out for exa- a play. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was I, horrendous. Like, it was like... It, yeah. like, it was like... <laughs> that's what, well, that's also what because, like, you're going to ruin this it, for me. I don't even it, know like, this. I, I actually, I, I agree with you on that because that actually stood out to me because in my head I thought, like, <laughs> that's like, a weird <laughs> thing for, like, yeah. an 18-year-old man to right. do. Like, And I'm not saying that, like, older men can't cry, but, like, he's right. crying like a six-year-old kid. Oh, when have you ever been in a seance and stood your ground? Last Thursday. Joke's on you now. There's there's nothing wrong with the the over-the-top. Like, listen, I get get why he cried. I get the mentality. I'm with you on that, Kevin. But that messed me up. So so then, so that happens, and I'm like, and then I literally go, oh, oh, I'm in a movie theater. Oh, 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 I need (laughs) need to go back into this movie now in my mind. And then the second one was, oh my god, I hated this. The leap from the attic out the window to the ground. Like, it just felt like the yeah. actor was doing it for the first time. And I, and I get the character decision. I would have done the same thing. But the way it was edited to the moment of the jump felt like it was just like, all right, Alex, we need you to try this shot real quick. And it was like the first time he ever did it. And he just like jumped out. So those were two like very... And then, and then the third thing was the finale uh, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the treehouse... Yeah. I just didn't buy his body language in that moment. Like the and then the explanation of what was happening, him being the the male host. Uh I don't know. I just the look on his face it didn't sell it for me. So I was distracted by but then everything else he did in the movie. 
His reaction when the decapitation happened, the reaction of getting home, the reaction of being in the bed as Tony's screaming when she finds a dead body, phenomenal. So, like, everything he did in the movie I genuinely liked, except for these moments, which genuinely pulled me out. And then the idea of the ending not giving me enough to chew on as I left. These are my problems with the movie. And listen, I have no problem with a film being open-ended. Make me think, make me question things, no problem. Um, like the one of the best open-ended endings ever is the open end of Whiplash, right? Like you, you just it just boom, it just ends. But there's enough to chew on to figure out what's going to happen. I remember Miles Teller saying that he ends up dying alone years later, which is very depressing. But the concept of something to chew on as an audience member at the end of a film, there was not enough given to me that I could go home and go, okay, what happened? So it's, I, I almost don't care like what happened mm. because I don't feel like there's yeah. enough for me to understand. That's all. There are two things in that movie that to me were scarier than any of the cult stuff. And and I think that for a first time director, like this is an amazing accomplishment oh, for, yeah. you know, a first time writer director. And I really do think for a lot of these questions that we're ans- asking that a second view is going to answer a lot of them. But I, I thought he did something that horror movies don't do quite as well, which is when you have that sensation that you're looking into a dark corner of your room and your room feels really safe and you think you see somebody standing there. And it just really catches you off guard. Like, that's really hard to capture on film, right? Uh, and yeah, I thought that's a good that the, point. the few instances that Hereditary tried that, um, there's, I think there's two that I can think of. Um, and the movie's, the movie's very well creepy. done. Like, well, it, wait, it, on every shot, like every shot, the initial shots into the dollhouses, the POV shots, the way the camera worked as you turned with the eyes of Will, uh, of, um, his character as he's looking around the room, the shot you're referring to, Sean, all amazingly yeah. executed. I actually like the film a lot. I gave it a four out of five. Um, well, here's the one again, thing that I think is even scarier than that. This was the feeling that that got me the most with Hereditary, where I was like, this movie has messed me up. When that kid is driving and his sister dies, right? Yeah. How terrifying is the feeling of, I've just made a lethal mistake, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. He's and paralyzed. why can't I turn back? We don't have the power to turn back the clock. And you have all of these repercussions that you're about to face for, right. for something that he legitimately didn't do wrong. Right. right? Like right. it's not right. really his fault. She put That's her head out the amazing window. Amazing yeah. writing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is incredible. That to me, that, that sense of dread is scarier than any type of satanic cult who wants to possess your body like that. Com- freaks me out and also completely like that, agree with that you gray that limbo moment before because sometimes even dealing with the repercussions can begin that grief process can but like that moment in between when it happened and when he has to deal with the consequences is just this horrible where you have to stop and think yeah that i mean how many times have, have we thought in our lives like if i could just turn back like 10 minutes yep. and make a different decision yeah. And it seems so easy, but it's just so unbelievably impossible. I also mm. find it really fascinating that when he gets home, there's a good 15, 20 minute period of the film where not, it's not ever talked about. Like it, 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 it's, they get home, she finds the body, they have the funeral scene, but there's never the moment where he tells his parents what happened. We later right. find out through non-expositionary dialogue that he obviously told his mom what happened. I thought that was a very interesting filmmaking choice. It was also a thing that kind of pulled me out for a little bit because I kept looking over at Lauren going, are they not going to discuss this? Um, because, right. But that, again, that's because we are so accustomed to films over-explaining things to us constantly 
that when a director makes a different choice, like a Dunkirk or something like that, where they're going to just allow things to take place and then you have to just understand that conversations probably happened off screen. We don't need to be overly told what's happening. Um, I want more movies to be like that. I want more, less explanation and just let me figure things out. But you still need something to chew on, which is why the ending kind of upset me a little bit. But Super so. early to even predict this, but what are the chances Hereditary makes your top 10? Zero. Uh, it's, it's, there, I think there's a chance, yeah. No, it's not even Zero. in my top 10 now. No, I, 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 I like could the see, film. I could see that movie being come, becoming better. Like, because I'm definitely going to rewatch it, and I could see that movie being better for me upon rewatch. I just want to have a little bit of a better grasp of what it is that I saw, and even honestly, just through this discussion, makes me like it a little bit more. Um, I don't think it's scary. I don't. Yeah, which, which like, I which I'm not going to knock it as. It's but you know, like every every independent horror film that comes out, like. Like it, you know, claims that it's the greatest horror, like scariest film of all time, and I think that's mm. why they get such low cinema scores. Is that they try to convince the average movie going public that it's that it's The Conjuring, and it's not. Like you can go into a horror movie, and it can be an incredible film without it being scary, right? Um, but this and, and, and like, but and people think that whenever I say that a horror film isn't scary, that I'm knocking it. I'm not. But like, like I liked it. But I got a lot of flack online for saying out loud that I didn't find it to be scary. And I'm oh, not, it's, it's not me it knocking the film, me so but I just much. don't think it's a scary movie. And it's just like, Are and you that's kidding fine. Me? That movie is I, I don't, freaky, I, man. I, I, I did not think it was scary. Not not in the least oh, bit. Interesting. It scared me I thought me it was a great much. horror film. And it almost made my top ten list, but it was not scary to me in the least bit. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. And, but, but that's not me knocking it. It just means that I did. It didn't. It didn't get me mm, going. J- I'm, not, just I'm, I'm not talking about jump skill. I didn't realize that you hated it. Oh sweet Christ! <laughs> <laughs> become the internet. We are running out of time and cannot do uh, Incredibles two and tag. Unfortunately, let's do really quick with uh, Kevin. Do you recommend both those movies? I do. Uh, Incredibles two specifically. Uh, it's okay. Amazing. It's genuinely just. Well-paced, incredible action. Uh, I haven't seen the first one in, in a, a, about 12 years, so I, I, people keep asking me, is it better than the first one? I, I love the first one. I saw it in theaters, um, but it's been a while, so I, I, I need to watch it again. But I genuinely find this film to be just a perfect sequel. It's like everything I wanted from the Incredible sequel. Uh, I know Sean saw it. Uh, the action's amazing. I loved Bob Odenkirk. What a great performance from him voice-wise. Catherine Keener's fantastic. Uh, everybody, uh, and Brad Bird, I had a great discussion with him about the filmmaking behind this movie because I know this is a loaded question to ask a director, but how do you direct animation uh, in the sense of if you look at the movie credits at the Good end? Question. Well, but if you look at the end, it says director of photography, camera, and then director of photography, lighting. But there's no camera and there's no lighting, literally speaking. Um, but they right. have this world. So... Brad Bird was telling me that he was he got down to a point where he directed the film as if he directed live action. He was having them change shutter speeds digitally uh, in shots, which is so cool. Um, because if you remember the opening of Saving Private Ryan, Kaminsky adjusted the shutter speed uh, to make this shot look the way it did. I mean, the, 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 the storming of the beach. Um, and it looked that way because of the way they shot it. So the fact that Brad Bird is thinking to himself, I want a different shutter speed in this animation shot uh, is really cool to me. Um, on top of that... Well, do you know something that they do at Pixar? Though I learned this when I went out there. They have a, an archive at Pixar now, and they do so much 
um, statue molds. They create statue molds of everything that they do to see how lighting and shading affect shots. There's actually, Which I find there's, incredible. Uh, in Chicago, there is a Pixar exhibit at the Museum of Science and Industry right now that takes Pixar films and then breaks them apart through uh, a science and math standpoint. And one of the things, to your point, that they did, that they built this entire field of grass in a tree, and it's there at the museum that's about the size of my condo. And they put little cameras in there that you can move around and bring down into the grass to like look up at the grass so, so that cool. you see the perspective of like what an ant would see. Yeah. So they awesome. build these That's massive awesome. worlds and then put little cameras all over the place so that you can replicate the lighting and, and perspective because we'll never know what, I mean, we're not Rick Moranis. We'll never know what it's yeah. like to be shrunk and look up and look like, so I, I just thought that was really cool. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called the science behind Pixar. It's at the museum of science and industry here in Chicago right now. It's, it's, it's for kids that, I think it's going to be touring around to a lot of different cities. If you have kids that question why they take math and science classes, this is a brilliant exhibit because it says, hey, you can, if you pay attention to math and science, you could win an Oscar one day. Well, that's why it blew my mind when I did the Ant-Man junket because like the, the extent yeah. that filmmakers go to well, – Jake can say whatever he wants. <laughs> Ant-Man's amazing. Uh, but the, the, the extent these filmmakers go to to get these shots. like So, for example, Ant-Man has an entire macro unit. There's a, there's a literal unit that goes out and shoots every perspective of Ant-Man. So they take these little cameras, uh, and there's a scene in the first Ant-Man where Ant-Man goes through a vacuum cleaner. They literally took cameras and shoved them into a vacuum cleaner and got that perspective. So when, when, when Paul Rudd is in, the, in that tub as the water's about to come on, when Michael Pena is, I think, is about to shower or whatever, they put cameras down the, there. The, the tub that's above a dance club? Uh, for some on. reason, you, you know, you can hate on Ant Man all you want, and I know I, I bet you a million dollars. Tell me I'm wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an apartment that's above a dance club that's full of people in the yeah. middle of the day. In the middle of the day, you guys, you know what? They're criminals and they're hiding out, man. Come on, you, you, you have to get past that. That's um, not the part that I'm, I'm, I'm oh, can't get past. Don't it's even get me. They live above a dance club that's full of people. On a Tuesday afternoon. Wait, 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 wait. But don't, don't even get me started on why Han Solo gets his name from a guy that says, oh, you're by yourself? Solo. <laughs> That's plausible. I can't That's plausible. That. I can't you know what's that. not plausible? A dance club full of people on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I, can't, I can't stand the Solo getting his name. San Francisco I is a vibrant place. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, let's jump to Ocean's 8 really fast. We can do Incredibles 2 in depth next week. We can do Tag in depth next week too. I want to just talk Ocean's 8 really fast. Jake, you saw it. Where would you rank it of the three existing and then this one? Um, The more I think about it, honestly, the less I like it. Walking out, I would have maybe put it third ahead of 12. Um, I really love 11. I really love 13. is great. But the, but the great. more and more I think about it, I think I might put it behind 12. I just, I, it was fine. It was fine. I didn't particularly have a ton of fun watching it just sort of felt like it didn't feel organic to me it sort of felt like these new actors sort of doing things that had already been done before um i i love the actresses involved i think that they have the capacity to i mean everyone you know i I know we're getting these these uh, female-led remakes and i'm all for the success of female-led films and i think that's obviously the representation is incredibly important but i also think that all of these actresses are strong enough to lead a film that doesn't have to piggyback on the success of others i mean we did we i mean rather than see an all-female version of ghostbusters or see an all-female version of of oceans 
why can't we see all these actresses in a new original piece of work that makes men want to look at it and go, oh man, that would have been cool to do that. Like I, well, I just want to see right, so new original I, pieces of work. I will come back to Oceans in a second, but th- that brings up Upgrade, which I saw last night, which Ooh, I want to see. I've heard nothing me. but amazing things. Oh dude, it's so great. It's so great. And what the thing is about it is that it reminds me of um, these films. Robocop, The First Terminator, The Matrix, um, it, but wow. it, it's in line with those movies. It feels like those movies, but it's its own thing. And watching Sean, it, I was like... did you watch that interview I sent you about how they no, did No, I didn't stuff? get a chance to yet. I need it's to. fascinating. STEM, STEM was happening on set. Like, that was all... On, like, the guy was talking to him on set. Uh, and it's then incredible. those shots of, like, when he's, like, rising up. They put a an, those are iPhone shots, man. Like they put iPhones on a on a on a on a board and like raised him up in those fight scenes. It's crazy. It's so great. You guys have to see it. You got to check it out. And then we'll I'm talk in depth. To. And we'll try to get Lee Winnell. Is it Lee Winnell? Is that how do you pronounce his last name, Kevin? I think it's yeah. I think it's Winnell. I think so. Winnell. He's really nice, and I want to get him on the podcast. Um, back to Oceans for a second. This is what bothered me the most. And we're going to talk spoilers. We're into spoiler conversation for Oceans. If you guys are tagging along, if you're watching on the Facebook feed, be careful. The the heist to me is so bad. The heist doesn't stand up Agreed. to any scrutiny at all. Um, and and I don't need these heists to be airtight. I but I need them to make a little bit of sense. And this and, one was and so yeah, there, disappointing. You, there were like th- there are certain aspects of the heist that required random strangers to just go along with things. Case in point, uh, Sarah Paulson finding the necklace in the water. And sort of being like, hey, here it is. And then the people just be like, hey, cool. Thanks for finding it and taking it. Like, I feel like you're talking about security that shut down an entire Met Gala. They're they're just not going to question the person that found it in the water. They're they're just going to take it. All right. I mean, it required so many like, ah, that's fine. Like, like you, you sort of have, I I get there is an element of like for all these heists, you know, I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, Ocean's 13, they, they reenact an earthquake in the middle of Las Vegas. You have to lift your, your disbelief at some point, but there is a little bit to me beyond plausibility with eight. Let's talk about how Anne Hathaway gets um, Helena Bonham Carter to actually hire, like to decide to hire her. They like set up that fake photograph of a lunch and they put it in page six. Like in what era is Anne Hathaway's character reading the New York post in page six and be like, what? She's with that girl. Get me that designer. I need her. It it requires a lot of like random threads that have to happen. Right. Right. And I just think the other movies did not that they went above and beyond to, to lay out all their facts, but they tried harder. I thought they just tried harder to make sense. Right. And I I never like the, you know, every time I watched one of the, the heist in 11, 12, 13, there was a part of me that thought maybe they're not going to get away with it. Maybe, especially the first one. The first one makes you think that they're failing, and it turns yeah. out to all be part of the plan. But 12 and 13, I watched both of those and thought, maybe this is the one where they don't pull it off. And then they end up do they, they end up do pulling it off. With 8, I never once questioned whether or not it was going to be okay. Like there were, To me, there was no inherent danger or drama, because I just thought, like even when th- it looked like things would start to go not according to plan, I thought, oh, this is probably all part of the plan. And yet it had the biggest opening of the franchise. Uh, yeah, but well, not adjusted for inflation. Yeah, inflation. Yeah, well, you know, it, yeah. It, it, listen, I liked Ocean's Eight actually a lot. I think Gary Ross is a, a very good filmmaker. I, th- I loved his first Hunger Games movie. Um, I think that to me, the best part of the Ocean's movies is is the is the heists within the heist. Um, the things that surprise me, and it surprised me. I, 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 the thing that happened 
outside or inside the heist. That that, that got me. That, that was kind of cool. I thought James Corden was great. I mean, the cast is very good. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Anne Hathaway are, to my in my opinion, steal the movie. They're so great in the film. Um, listen, I, I I didn't find it. Uh, is uh, the heist as bad as you guys are saying? I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was interesting. I, I actually thought the it was kind of clever how they got the the necklace off of her uh, neck with the with the vomiting element of it. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I thought that was well done. I mean, I I, I was engaged. I thought, I thought it was entertaining. Performance wise, it was really solid. Um, I wouldn't call it amazing by any means. I think it's better than Ocean's Thirteen for sure. I'm a I'm a twelve guy. See, love why, why don't you like Thirteen? I don't remember loving 13. I'm, 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 I think more, Pacino is so good in 13. I'm not, I'm not saying 13 is not is bad. I, I, I've always been a 12 guy. And I, know, I know people make fun of me for that, but I love Ocean's Soderbergh. 12. Soderbergh says 12 is the best. 12 is the best one. I love, the Julia Roberts bit uh, is so good. It's so I clever. I think that's so, it's so funny. funny. I love I that. Love I just that think bit. I think 12 is so pretentious and aware of itself. I mean, sort of how you often describe Thor Ragnarok is how I uh, describe uh, I, Thor, Thor, specifically Thor Ragnarok. I think Ocean's Twelve thinks it's way funnier than it is, and it just feels like, to me, it feels more like a celebrity exclusive club that right. you're lucky enough that we let you get to peek into and look at. Eh, right? Isn't it though? It I is. can see that. No, but 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 something like eleven to thirteen feels fun. Like I'm like I'm right there with them. To me, twelve feels like I'm watching from a distance. And maybe part of that is sort of the the idea that we know that Clooney lives a couple of blocks away from where they're shooting. Like it feels like this, this vacation that they were all on that they're right. like, well, why the, why the hell don't we just film it for tax purposes and make a movie out of it? Like, it just right. feels like a vacation that like, Oh, like a, okay, fine. Let, let, let our fans watch us on vacation. I can see that. All right. So I guess none of us are going to choose uh, oceans eight for Bullock blend. We are going to play uh, hashtag uh, Bullock blend where we debate the best Sandra Bullock performance. Not necessarily her best film, and not her Oscar-winning film, unless someone chose The Blind Side. We chose her not best. Choose The Blind Side performance. Gabe, I think Wait, we already didn't, we, told we, us we didn't go with the net. <laughs> a net who? The net. No, no, the net. net. <laughs> yeah, the net. The net was a uh, <laughs> an internet film she made in the nineties. I still have my yeah. ticket for that, actually. I'm that, sure that you do. Well, <laughs> um, Gabe, we all picked the same movie. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we, we all picked we all picked Gravity, which is yeah, really. We did. F- well, I mean, when you look over her body of work, Makes sense. Um, I don't think that Gravity is the movie that I would define as a Sandra Bullock movie. In fact, if I was defining a Sandra Bullock movie, it, to me, it's I don't want to pigeonhole her and say a ro- uh, romantic comedy, but it's probably something more along the lines of miscongeniality. Um, but. Gravity is it's her castaway, right? Like when we did Tom Hanks yeah. and we argued castaway, it's she's yeah, the only I chose one in the castaway scene. on on Hanks one. Yeah, and she's, you know, she's the one, she's the primary focus. She's the one who has to do all the heavy lifting. She is in a astronaut suit for a large part of it and has to act with her face and her voice. Like it's it's all of these whenever you strip away all the tools of a performer and then challenge them to still be captivating, uh so many of them can't do that. And uh I just think that Gravity is it's amazing. Why did you guys choose it? Yeah, for all the reasons that you said. And also there's, I mean, there's a certain relatability to her. You know, whenever I watch films about astronauts, for me, there's always a bit of a distance, no pun intended, but because like the astronauts are just so much, <laughs> ah, <good. laughs> astronauts are so much inherently smarter than I'll ever be. And there's a certain comprehension that I understand that astronaut characters have 
that I'll, I sort of just go along with a lot of words they say because I'm like, yeah, that sounds that sounds astronomical. That sounds good. <laughs> but she, correct me if I'm wrong, her character was like, like brought in. She wasn't a trained astronaut. She was brought in because of her knowledge of something, right? They like they needed her right. knowledge of something, and then yeah. they had. So there was a relatability, and she juggles so many things. I mean, from uh, you know, an action standpoint, there are like these beautiful action sequences that she handles fantastically. I guess fantastically. And also she's dealing with the the loss of her daughter. So there's this emotional weight to it. And she has a great rat-a-tat-tat with Clooney, which I was kind of hoping that we would have seen in Ocean's 8. I was hoping, I feel like we were robbed of that. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, she just juggles and spins so many plates. And uh, and you're right. It is, it, is, it is her castaway in every sense of the word. And really, to me, that's the movie she should have won the Oscar for, not The Blind Side, a movie that I'm not a massive fan of. Yeah, listen, uh, Gravity, we all saw together. Uh, well, Jake and I specifically. Yeah, we did. Wait, Sean and I. Sean saw it there too, and then we all discussed it um, at uh, at TIFF. But mm-hmm. listen, Gravity to me was uh, a defining film. Uh, one of the biggest problems I have with people's reactions to that movie were people who criticized it for not having anything more than just being a, like a space movie or people trying to survive. I thought there was an emotional depth there that that was unbelievably well done. Um, but because of the minimal dialogue, I think a lot of people were um, upset with how they didn't feel for it. And I, I completely felt the opposite. I felt every aspect of what she was going through. Um, I found myself physically moving in my chair, trying to stretch myself to, for her to help her, um, which was yeah. crazy um, considering you're sitting in a movie theater. But when you're in that 3D environment that Alfonso Cuaron created with that masterful score and then the sound effects you have to understand that none of that was done in space clearly and that's the crazy part about it is the way they perform these moments it feels like they are um and to me that's the masterful element where a director and a cinematographer and an actor have a relationship unlike anything you could ever imagine because they all have to believe in themselves. They all have to believe in the moment. They all have to believe in what they're doing. And it has to feel real because we feel that sense of realness as well. Um, I've tried to watch that can... movie on DVD and it doesn't hold up. Oh, I disagree. I think it holds up. In Gravity? Beautifully. Yeah, I didn't I, have the same Is impact. it that it doesn't hold up or it just doesn't compare to the cinematic experience? Because I still I, think it it's might a great be movie. Yeah. I, I think for, you know, if you compare it to the experience you had in theaters, I mean, that's just... That's not fair because well, you'll well, never have that again. Yeah, I, I, yeah. The experience in theaters of that movie, listen. I mean, yeah. And when you drop Dunkirk into a Blu-ray player, it's not as it, it doesn't have that seventy millimeter experience. But I still appreciate the storytelling. Um, so sure. it's just a reminder that the cinematic experience is the ultimate, and that people should go to that if they can for the, for their first viewings. But um, Gravity was uh, it was a game changer in the sense of what it did for filmmaking and the visual effects and the opening, the continuous opening shot. I think it's seventeen minutes is just oh. unbelievably well yeah. done. I mean, Alfonso Cuaron is genuinely one of those guys who just, he stitches shots very, very well. Um, there's a shot in the new Jurassic World uh, that uh, Bayona does. Uh, talk about stitching. Like, the stitching that he utilizes, uh, I won't give anything away, but it's in my interview, which is on YouTube. He speaks about it pretty detail-wise. But it's in the trailer. You see Chris swimming in the in the water as Bryce and Justice are in the gyrosphere as it's going under the water. Um, it's all one shot 
for you as an audience member, but it's stitched together. But the way he stitches it was with the water level rising. Um, as the water kind of goes up to the gyrosphere, the camera is – it's very cool how they pulled it off. Anyway, back cool. to Alfonso Cuaron. I love um, he's amazing. But Alfonso Cuaron, uh, I mean, probably one of the greatest stitched shots in the history of filmmaking is Children of Men as Ugh. Clive is carrying yeah. the baby. Um, but that, on top of that, though, the real one shot in that movie was the is the motorcycle sequence. Um, ah. the, the, the spitting of the ping pong ball, which is actually that ball is CGI. Uh, and those guys, and, and they had a camera rig that the actors had to duck under as it went by them. So think about like you think about this for a second. Like you're in the you're in the a car sequence. You have four or five people in a car. You have a camera rig that uh, that uh, Chivo put above the car that's getting a one shot as this horrific action sequence is taking place. Meanwhile, the actors, as the camera comes by them, choreography wise, had to go like this as it went above their head and then around to the next person. And then the ball is CGI, and then obviously there's blood. I mean, I don't know how the hell he pulled that off. It is – so then you take that, and then you add it to a budget like Gravity, and then you do a 17-minute opening shot in space. That's where that comes from. I mean, that guy is just a storyteller immersing and then you, you have, in a moment. But, it's unbelievable. But then you have a performance like Sandra Bullock who has to humanize it all, who has right. to sort of give you someone to relate to. That's, that's where it I all think. comes down to filmmaking. You have a rela- – that's where the director, the cinematographer, the animators, and the actors all work in this beautiful in sync pattern, and it just yep. works. That's it. That's that's well, filmmaking. I think our um, users who played along at home all came up with gravity too. I think we pretty much had mostly gravity. Did we get like a miscongeniality every once in a while? Gabe has something. Oh wait, Gabe does have an audience pick. Her Gabe. two her two best favorite wise yes. are speed are speed and demolition man. I love speed. I love speed. Yeah, but I don't know if I love her performance in speed. Like speed oh, she's just so movie. good at speed. Oh my, her and she's Keanu Reeves. I she's fine. She, she's she's good. good. They get yeah. how clever speed was. What a clever idea for a movie. It was such a great, great idea. And it was done yep. practically. <clears throat> we need a Yon DeBont nowadays. We don't have a Yon DeBont. Well, actually, again, I'm going to point people, everybody to Upgrade. Upgrade is a movie made in the in the tone of speed. And Why are you guys all disrespecting and... Demolition Man? What are we? What are you guys doing? Oh, not. No, Dude. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Just over-reliance <laughs> on its Taco Bell marketing placement. Yes. Yeah! Next, <laughs> it's a film. <laughs> next week's homework... And I don't really have a a reason for choosing this, but we're going to do hashtag Zemeckis blend. I already know what Sean's is. It's Forrest Gump. I already know the answer to that one. (laughs) I already know what's going to. No, Kevin, the best. You have to choose the best. So I think Zemeckis will fit in with our conversation about uh, Incredibles 2 and probably Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And we'll be feeding into uh, Ant-Man. Which the guys will potentially be seeing at the end of uh, at the end of next week. So let's re- we'll reunite next week for a, a riveting episode of Real Blend. Uh, Jake, where can everybody find you? At Jake's takes or in the dance club below Ant Man's bathtub. <laughs> Kevin, where can we find you? You can actually find me uh, in the back behind the guy <laughs> who gives Solo his last name. Um, so th- there's a. During the scene, there'll be plenty he, of room because God knows when, no one will be in the theater. When when he gives Solo his name, I actually look up at him and go, "That was great. That was a great <laughs> line. Really cool, All man." Right. Uh, that, that's and where, I'm that's at where Sean. you'll find me. 
I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. <laughs> I want to play catch up. Um, Corey Stoll, uh, the villain from Ant Man, is playing Buzz Aldrin in First oh, Man. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I I that's really good. Cast- that is great casting, actually. Yeah. yeah, I got to I got to interview um, Buzz Aldrin last year, and it was genuinely like one of the craziest. And and I know like every like the three of us get to interview some truly amazing people, but there's something about shaking the hand of a man who's been on the moon. That's that crazy. Sort of like kind of not 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 like lowers the other interviews you've done because it's not my favorite interview of all time or anything, but it just sort of makes the other other interviews you go just like, oh, like, my God, like, what have <laughs> Jake, I done with my life? Yeah, Jake, I, I had that exact moment. I was in, I know we have to go. Uh, real quick, I was in the White House for uh, President Obama's last Presidential Medal of Freedom. And uh, Spielberg was being honored, Barbara Streisand, James Taylor. And I'm in this room, 50, you know, 50 feet away from President Obama as he's putting these um medals over people's heads uh and i'm having this like freak out moment because it's spielberg right so i I hear i hear him bring up uh, a woman named katherine johnson and and in my mind i I, I hear everything she's done i'm like oh that sounds cool and i'm and then i I go back to spielberg and i'm like ah spielberg and then i'm like freaking out i i jump across the room i don't know how i didn't get shot by secret service and i got an interview (laughs) by spielberg and barbara streisand (laughs) Then I leave the room, and then the trailer comes out, I think, a couple of – no, then I see Hidden Figures about six, seven, eight months, whatever it was later. And then I realize how much of an idiot I was uh, for not, one, meeting Katherine Johnson, and then, two, just interviewing her because I was so yeah. – and now, again, inherently, you see Spielberg, you're going to freak out. There's, I don't fault myself for it, but I wish I had known who she was, and then I wish I would have shaken her hand and said thank you. So I totally right. understand what you mean by that. It's like one of those weird yeah. things. So, Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in to the uh, episode number 25. As an anniversary episode, episode number 25. Yeah, Our baby's growing up. A milestone episode. Um, we are on iTunes. And I want to mention the fact that we're on iTunes and you guys can leave us reviews. And I do want to say What's that What's this review that you keep talking named, about? This is a five-star review from I Is it Love written by Jan Hamilton? <laughs> no because then she would have panned us she would have said uh last week's episode was the best with just kevin and sean uh yeah. i love lunacy writes great movie podcast this is real i'm going to start reading these reviews for people so if you want to get read on the on the podcast uh we will happily shout you out i love lunacy says great conversational movie podcast great mix news reviews and best of conversations with some great film journalists so also jake and and, and jake, jake. <laughs> so tune in next week we will talk about um incredibles 2 we will talk about tag there's a controversial joke in tag that kevin and i want to talk about that um, joke we're gonna talk about so... i know i know we'll get into it uh we'll get into jurassic gabe, you don't wrap us we wrap you gabe and um we'll be back next <laughs> next Dunkirk. week thank you very much everybody for Dunkirk. tuning in We'll Dunn talk to you next solo. Week. Kirk. Solo. Dunn Kirk. <laughs> it's a legitimate reason why he has his last name. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.